Good morning and welcome again to Words of Hope. I'm Mark Yoder, and I'm grateful again for this opportunity to share a few minutes with you this morning. I tell people my goal is to share words of encouragement, to give people hope that there is a way to connect to God. There is a way to find truth. There's a way to restore a relationship that has felt broken between you and God. Many people have experienced what I call a stronghold of hopelessness, an area of their life where they feel like nothing good can come out of this thing. Some of that can happen in just a broken relationship, broken marriage, divorce. Sometimes it happens through financial disaster. And often it can happen in a... um, event of in one's early childhood sometimes the bible says that all other sins are outside the body but sexual sin is against the body it's like taking a hammer and and beating on and destroying what if as if you would do it physically it does it emotionally and spiritually and many people have go, who have gone through abuse or have had some really bad experience early in life have a very hard time getting over their sense of hopelessness and the sense that they've been wasted. And we want today to speak hope to people, to remind people that God redeems very hard and difficult places. He comes with amazing grace. Almost always in these situations, whether it's fair or unfair, people feel a sense of guilt, even if they've been victims. But our God is amazing and he restores and redeems. And that's part of the message that I want to bring to you today. Sometimes when I talk with people, they'll say, I wish I could believe like you, Mark. It just doesn't work for me. I can't get there. And I always try to tell people, never give up. People will work very, very hard to achieve things for this life. They'll put up with a job they don't like. They'll stay and work with people they don't care for in order to get a retirement or a pension or benefits. And in some ways, I'm I'm not critical of that at all. I think it's good, but it always kind of saddens me that people will work hard for material and blessings for time, excuse me, but miss the things of eternity. They just give up. They walk away. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And that is part of the message that I want to share again today, that when you seek the Lord, he promises that he will make things open, that he'll begin to reveal himself. I always tell people, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself and just go to the Lord and say, I'm willing. I'm willing to be taught. I'm willing to hear. I had promised in my last session that this time I would tell some stories from my experiences in India. I leave to go back there again here in November and just thought in honor of that, I would just share some of my stories that often amaze me to this day. I am amazed at how our God is at work in the lives of people and all over the world, not just in India, but in many other places. The work of God is amazing. And 
uh, my appeal to people is don't miss it. And some of the stories I'll share here in just a little bit are not that amazing in and of themselves, but they're just an illustration and a demonstration of what God is doing and can do. Some are just stories. So I hope that you enjoy and appreciate and realize that there is a spiritual realm and dimension that many people miss. That just wanting to have fun and pleasure, another party and and uh, thinking you can't have fun without the beer and the girls and whatever else is involved. I want you to know that there's so much more to life than that. And I hope some of these stories will bring some of that to light. regret I'm pretty sure we have met every single day of your life I'm the whisper inside that won't let you forget hello my name is defeat I know you recognize me just when you think you can win I'll drag you right back down again Till you've lost all belief Oh, these are the voices Oh, these are the lies And I have believed them For the very last time Hello, my name is Child of the One True King I've been changed, I have been
first time of going to India was about 20 years ago. I was invited to go along as an observer. I had heard some stories about the things that the Lord was doing up there in the tribal areas of, in those days it was called Orissa. Today it's the state of Odisha on the east coast of Africa. And I wanted to go and observe. I didn't go as a teacher or preacher at that point. My daughter, Queena, went with me. We would often do some ministry with the children while the others were doing the other teaching. During that time, I met a young man, Tarun, and Tarun won my heart in so many ways, just his kindness, his gentleness with people, the way he would listen to them very, very attentively. And there were so many examples of, of uh, just a, a, a person that had a heart for God and a heart for people. He had started an organization called Voluntary Action India. It was an organization that was teaching people to read and write, to teach people about health and hygiene, working in areas of great poverty. For some reason, I felt prompted after being with Tarun a while to help him and support him a bit in this organization. I, I just kind of mentally, no big, strong commitment, decided I would try to send 1500 twice a year to help <clears throat> support him as he was doing this work. And the stories of how that happened are pretty amazing. Sometimes I'd get money in a really unusual way. In those days, we didn't wire the money, and we would send it by cash as groups would go in. And sometimes I would just at the last minute hear somebody was going. Uh, probably 10 years later one day, Tarun was talking to me when we were there, and he just mentioned Mark. He said, do you have any idea what that uh, income did for me and for our organization. And he went on to explain that uh, government would give them some food sometimes to help distribute and some materials, but no money. And he would use that money to hire young college graduates. In those days, the poverty and economy was really bad there in India, and they could he could hire these people, these young college graduates, for 12 to $15 a month. And that's what he would do. He sent out like 15, 20 of these uh, college students, and they were teaching people to read and write. And they used a Christian-based, Bible-based curriculum. So as people were learning to read and write, they were also learning the stories of the Bible, the creation, the fall, and the story of Jesus and how he was born of a virgin and died and rose again. And out of this, even some of the Hindus that he hired became Christians and churches started to spring up. And today, there's nearly 250 pastors that Tarun works with. Not all of them came, obviously, to the Lord through that organization, but many, many did. And it's another example of how God will just take a little and do a lot. There's a little story I tell sometimes about the uh, after I'd been there, I think it was about 10 years after the first time we were there in Mangapanga in the village, and there was a young lady that was working there, and she was taking care of the children, and I was so impressed with the job that she was doing. I just admired how the children would get up each morning and have their devotions and do their chores, how they were happy doing their schoolwork. I was about 10 minutes from when I was ready to leave that 
for that trip and be gone when I realized mommy spoke English. And, and I was so excited. We got to talk a little bit. And I was thanking her for the job that she had done and, uh, and just how amazed I was at her way of relating to the children. And then I asked her, mommy, how did you come to be this person? How did you grow up to love Jesus and share in this way? And she said, do you remember the first time that you came to India? And I said, well, I remember it, but don't know what you're talking about. And she said, you and Quina and Tarun came to our house to pray for our family. And when you came in, you found out that we had six children and you were so excited. You said you also had six children. And as you uh, prayed and and Tarun would have been the one that would have been translating. And I'm sure that a lot had to do with how he shared this. She said that you prayed for that each child would come to know Jesus and that they could never get away from his love. And no matter what happened, they would be drawn back to him. And she said, we weren't a religious family, a spiritual family at that point. But later I became a Christian. And when I went to school and college, there were times when I really did want to walk away from my faith, but I could never get away from that prayer. And I, again, I tell that story not about me, but just to tell you again that little things can make a huge difference. And I really could tell many, many stories of just how God has done amazing things through small acts of obedience and small acts of sacrifice. And I marvel again at how he does these things. One of my favorite stories about going to India involves a retired pastor from our church, Ivan Miller. He felt like he really wanted to go with me, and I was a little surprised. He had had cancer prior to that, and I was wondering, boy, this is a brutal trip to go to India and up in those mountains, and the roads are tough, and we travel a long time. And But he said, I feel like I should go, Mark. And we, he got his passport and visa and went with us. And Indeed, our travel was very difficult. I remember one night we were, we had just traveled so long and been in different villages doing different teaching and preaching. And I, I think it was getting to be like 12, one in the morning. And I said to our host, we must stop. We just can't go on. And I was especially feeling sorry for Ivan. And they were kind of embarrassed. They said, Mark, there's just no hotel here good enough for you. And we, I said, I don't care what it's like if we can lay our heads down and sleep. And so that night we actually stayed at a hotel and paid $2 a room. And I've jokingly said we grossly overpaid, but we did get a good night's rest. Anyway, as we were getting back, probably from that leg of the journey, we were coming back into Mangapanga. And there was a little hut there at the edge of the village and our host again kind of apologized. He said, one of our pastors is here. He's been here for, I think, a day and a half. He's very, very sick, but he's been waiting for us to come back so you men could pray for him. I always feel a little overwhelmed when they look at us as our prayers are better. I think their prayers are better, if anything, but we, of course, got out, went in there, and I remember going into that room, and that Man was laying there so sick. I think he had hepatitis, and I didn't see how he could live a couple days. Ivan went to this man. Ivan was kind of short. This In India, this guy, many people are short. He came up to maybe his shoulder. And when Ivan went to him, he just wrapped his arms around this man, and he wept. 
out loud just sobbed, crying. In fact, it went on for a long time, almost to an awkward point. He just sat there and wept over this man. I remember his tears running down over his head and face. And finally, at the end, Ivan mumbles a little prayer, Oh, God, please help him. Please heal him. And we went our way. And after that, I I didn't think the man would live, but, but I... Again, when I got back the next time, I said, whatever happened to that man that Ivan prayed for? And they were all so excited. They said, you know, he got better. Right after that, he just went, his illness went in remission and he's doing fine. It's, uh, that was about 10 years ago, I think. And this past year, I asked about him again and they said, well, Mark, he has passed away now, but he had many years of faithfully serving God there after Ivan prayed for him. And one other story, um, one of my friends, Beacon, during the persecution of 2008, there was severe persecution. It made a lot of news. Some of our pastors, um, I don't know if any of the ones that were on our support role, but some of their assistant pastors were killed. There were some really terrible things that happened. I have a close friend, Beacon. I love him dearly. And uh, he told me this story himself through an interpreter, of course. He said that, he was in his home, and he got word that the mob was coming to kill him. And, and he, you know, many of the people did flee and just left everything behind. But he felt the Lord spoke to him and said, you should go meet that mob. And he was very scared. He told his wife, I feel like I need to go and meet this crowd. And she, she was scared. But she said, if you'll go, then I'm going too. But she stayed in the bushes, uh, Beacon said. As he approached this large crowd of people and they, he, he met them and he said, I looked down and my whole shirt was moving and pounding from, the, from how hard my heart was beating, how much fear I had. He said he went to this crowd and he said to them, I am so sorry if I have offended any of you by becoming a Christian. He said, I have never meant to offend anybody, but if you're asking me today to turn my back on Jesus, I can never do that. Jesus is the one who saved me. He's taking me to heaven when I die. He's given me meaning and purpose, and I cannot ever deny him. He said the crowd got quiet. He heard some people say, this is a good man. Let's let him go. And sure enough, the crowd dispersed. But there were a few people there who... Uh, did not hated him, hated for what he stood for and what he was doing and how he was proclaiming Jesus in that area. And they hired a lady to charge him with rape. And it actually went to court. And in cross-examination, she broke down and cried. And she said, I'm so sorry. These men over here paid me to bring these charges. But this man is a good man, and I can't do it. Those men actually went to prison. And my friend Beacon would go and bless them there in prison. Some of the very ones that were the most, the, the persecutors who done the worst things to people are now their brothers and sisters. And I believe that's what happens when you apply Christianity, the love of Jesus, when you love your enemies and you bless those that curse you and you do good to those that hate you. I am convinced today that this message that we proclaim, that I'm proclaiming to you today that Jesus is the Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, is truly, truly the only real hope for our world. 
political agendas, the right people in office, policies, none of those things will really, in the end, make a difference. If you miss Jesus, you miss everything. If you find him, you find everything. And part of me sometimes struggles. I, I think I said that the last time, that in many ways it feels that people have taken hostage this great faith and have used words that don't represent Jesus very well and attitudes and results. But I would just tell you today that there is the real thing happening all over the world, that people are coming to know Jesus, they're coming to know forgiveness, they're getting order in their lives, they're learning to love. The husband learns to love his wife, and the wife respect her husband, children, honor and obey their parents. And in one way, I believe that is what everybody longs for, that there's order, meaning, purpose, an eternal purpose. And I appeal again to each of you listening today to know it's worth your time to seek the Lord. In a minute, I'll come back with a final story that happened a year ago when we went to India. Staring at a stop sign, watching people drive by, T-Mac on the radio. Got so much on your mind, nothing's really going right. Looking for a ray of hope.
last November, I was preparing to go to India. We were hoping to do a pastor's retreat. Uh, there's a place on the Indian Ocean, a carry retreat center where we usually hold these re retreats for the pastors. Many of these men work very hard and very difficult places. They travel up into very remote villages and, and they're actually very poor men that just um, have given their heart to Jesus and are out there sharing the message. <clears throat> Many times with, they get lots of rejection and lots of anger and hostility to them. And so this is our chance to bring them out, give them some rest, give them some fellowship, give them a chance to tell their stories. We usually pay for their travel out and their lodging and meals while they're there. It's, it's not very much per person, but it does add up. Last year we had 330 people there at our retreat. But anyway, just before I was leaving on this retreat, I was there sitting in my desk and I got to thinking, you know, we do these for the men, but we don't do much for the women. And I felt bad. I know that many of the women have to stay home and take care of their children and the animals and things that they can't come out to the retreat. And I got this inspiration. I thought, the Bible says that if you are kind to the poor, you lend to the Lord. And I got this inspiration that if we would give money to these poor pastors' wives, but then tell them, don't use this money on yourself. We want you to have this money to bless the really needy people. We want you to pray that God will lead you to the right person and then help somebody in the name of Jesus. And I got so excited about this. I wrote up a letter and started sharing this wherever I went, telling people we can't take more than 200 uh, from any one person because it's just too good of an investment. You can't, you know, we just can't do better than that. Uh, <laughs> it's a, the language of the swindlers. And, um, but anyway, I, I said, we're not giving receipts. And so I'm just going to take it in as cash. We're going to distribute it to these women. And in one week's time, or maybe just a little more than a week's time, I was handed $8,300 in some of the most amazing and special stories you could imagine. A young girl in our church who had an accident and has dealt with a traumatic brain injury came out after I'd shared this, and she handed me three $5 bills, and she says, I earned this money. Nobody gave it to me. I worked for it. Please take it to the women. And uh, just one story after another, a guy, Dwayne Landis, had won the pool when he went fishing, and he kept that money there in his wallet. And when he heard the story, he said, take this to the women. And this, so many amazing stories. And, I, and like I said, I ended up with 8,300 to take over to distribute to these women to do this work. We had... During one of the sessions, I was doing a financial teaching with the men. I always teach them, you know, the first principle of finance is that you owe nothing. Everything belongs to the Lord. And you illustrate that by giving a tenth of all your increase. And you don't wait to do that until you have money. But God loves a cheerful giver. And it's a neat way just to begin to see the Lord open up his hand to bless people. And, and in fact, I've begun to teach people that, we should give the tenth because that's so, that's just not stealing what belongs to the Lord. And then we should give another tenth out of our just to show and demonstrate that our heart is generous. And 
it, it, I really don't believe it ever costs anybody money to do that. God just opens up the windows of heaven and pours out blessings when we do it. But anyway, I told these men these principles, and then I told them about the money that we were giving to their wives or maybe the deacons of their church if they weren't married. And I said to them, this money is not for you. You must not touch it. Keep your grubby hands off of it. And they uh, smiled and said, amen. So I guess I don't know how the guy interpreted that, but he must have at least communicated what I was trying to say to them. And so there were a few women, and I wish you could have seen the excitement of the women that were there when we gave them this money, $25 apiece to 330 women, and that represented a month's wage. And it was so exciting to see their excitement about what they could do with this money, and the pastors were really excited as well. Just recently, I got a letter back from Tarun saying, telling me, some of the stories in one area, one tribal area, they had nine pastors. These pastors took this money home and gave it to their wives and explained what they were to do with it. And they prayed and they sought the Lord and they gave this money to seven out of the nine ended up that these people, not only did they make commitments, not only was their heart open to the Lord, seven out of nine were baptized into the Christian faith. And if uh, you want to hear some of those stories in more detail, I'll just share this. My, I, I don't do Facebook and a lot of other things, but my email, and I do good at answering emails, M as in Mark, B as in boy, Yoder, at gmail.com. If you'd enjoy hearing some of those stories, I would welcome you to uh, send me an email. And if you have any comments you want to make as well. Now, I realize today that these stories are just that, stories. I, perhaps you're aware that probably one of the most dangerous things is testimonials that can be false and can trick people. But I, want, I believe today that our God is amazing. His grace is amazing. His ways. There's a, there's a verse in the Bible. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And when people humble themselves and seek the Lord and they begin to say, God, my goal is to do what you want. And I purpose today to follow you. I believe that our God will move heaven and earth to meet you. If you're discouraged today, if you've had things happen in your life, if you've been one of those that says, you know, it just doesn't work for me, I want to tell you again today, don't give up. It's There's too much at stake. Eternity's too long. The difference between knowing the Lord and not knowing the Lord is just far too great to just casually give up the effort. And so today, again, I hope, I pray, that some of you will consider just this amazing story of Jesus, that you will give your life to him, that you will make. Don't, don't look for the most amazing kind of encounter. Just know that the deep conviction of the Lord can come over your life, and you can know that these things that we say are true. Truth, I believe, resonates in the heart of people. So my prayer today is that something in this will convince you again that God is real 
and that he is at work today and he can change your life and that place of hopelessness can be torn down. The lies of the enemy can be exposed and you can know the truth that will set you free. I want to invite you again next week to another session of Words of Hope here on WBOC.